In Colossians 2, in this passage of Scripture, Paul would let us know that the ability that we have, and it's not a, a, an ability or a, a gift that is a once and for all kind of thing. It is a moment by moment, day by day, ability to receive and to understand God's truth. That this ability to receive and to understand God's truth is greatly affected by the state of our relationships with other people. Now, this really shouldn't be so startling, for throughout the Bible, we are taught that if we are to be in fellowship with God, we must be in fellowship with other people. In the book of 1 John, John writes that the individual who is not in fellowship with, the, with his brother, as John calls him, his Christian brother, that he can see cannot possibly be in fellowship with God. And we are told that not to love is to hate. And we are told by John in his first epistle that anyone who says, I love God, yet despises or hates his brother, is a liar and has never even come into the light of God's truth. So Paul would have us to understand that it is terribly important that we maintain both a proper attitude toward God, a willingness to accept what he reveals, and that we cultivate and protect at all costs relationships with other Christians if we are to be able to receive and to understand at all anything that God has to say. In the book of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, it is most significant that Paul puts his great exposition about spiritual guidance early in this letter, right in the middle of his discussion of the factions within the church at Corinth. For there can be no spiritual guidance felt, understood, or followed if there is not a fellowship and a harmony among the Lord's people. Probably, tension was already mounting in the church at Colossae because of the false doctrines that were threatening all of the churches in Asia Minor. And Paul is trying to counteract it. Those who do not know the depths of Paul's deep convictions concerning God's Word have great difficulty understanding Paul's deep concern when God's truth was ignored or threatened or called into question and when God's people were in danger of being led astray into error. You see, Paul could not. It isn't that he would not. He could not play fast and loose with God's revealed truth. And it tortured his soul for some who claim to be Christians to dishonor Christ by ignoring the plain teachings of Christ and the Word of God. Paul is also concerned, he mentions in this passage, for the church at Laodicea. And I would mention that we don't know what happened to the church at Colossae. It appears here and in the book of Acts, and we know that the church was established by a, a follower of Paul who pastored it, a man named Epaphras. 
We don't know the fate of the church at Colossae. But we do know that at this time, when Paul wrote the letter to Colossae, it was in about the same condition as the church at Laodicea. And we see the church at Laodicea again in Revelation chapter 3, where the Lord Jesus says, I am on the outside of the church at Laodicea, knocking, trying to get in. Perhaps Paul was able to save the church at Colossae. We don't know. But we do know that the church at Laodicea did not make it. We can only pray and trust that we of his people living in a very perilous age as events unfold day by day reveal will be so tenacious in our loyalty to him and his perfectly revealed truth that we will be a viable force for God in our society. Let us look at Colossians 2, 1 to 7. In verse 1, here is the high price. Now, Paul was not willing to conceal the fact that he was heart sick over the threat to the genuine faith of the church as it had been received from the Lord Jesus by the error that was coming into the church. We have here just a glimpse into the very heavy heart of Paul. He did not conceal his grief. He wants the Colossians to know and appreciate that fact. He wants them to realize that it does matter what and how we do what we do as the church because we are in great peril. And there's a very serious danger at any time when we turn aside from the fullness of God's Word, which reveals His will. This verse reveals that Paul was fully human. He didn't try to conceal that fact. Paul tried to counteract it at all points. You will find throughout the writings of Paul glimpses of his humanity. He writes to the Romans, Christ died for sinners of whom I am the chief. He tells the Corinthian Christians that he had a physical weakness, a thorn in the flesh that God did not remove, that he had to live with. He tells us in some of his letters as he grew old that his eyesight was about gone and he had to dictate the letters and he had to, if he read anything, it had to be in very large print so that he could see it. He was fully human. And he did not try to conceal the high price that very often must be paid to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Here is a glimpse into his heavy heart. He said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. The word struggle is, the, is our English word agony. Agony. Paul says, my soul is tortured as I fight to grow Christians to maturity. We will know from reading the letter to the Colossians that it was a struggle in prayer, as always it is. But beyond that, beyond that, it was a struggle in a different way for the Apostle Paul. For you see, he was under a different kind of pressure. Paul was not, Paul's life was not as simple as having to be concerned about the churches that he had helped start as a Christian missionary. His concern was doubled by the fact that when he wrote the letter to Colossae, he was in prison at Rome. 
He was under indictment to stand before the court of Caesar. And after he ultimately stood before Caesar, it would cost him his life. And God had already revealed to him that it would cost him his life. So he knew that he was going to die in Rome. And he was under the pressure of knowing that Christians throughout the Roman Empire, all over the known world, were watching him to see how he was going to act and hold up under severe persecution. He was in agony for them. He had to be strong for the sake of those who were watching. And we need to be aware that others... Other Christians, weaker Christians, others who are not saved are likewise watching us. You see, Paul knew what was at stake. He loved the Colossian Christians, but he was not willing to stand idly by and see them go into error by playing fast and loose with the truth of God. The dampness of Roman prison did not break Paul's heart, but the danger to the church did. Here is the high price. And then in verses 2 and 3, here is the high goal. What is he trying to accomplish? He says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all, Notice that word, all. God doesn't exaggerate. We may exaggerate. God doesn't. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wisdom, the fullness, the glory, the holiness of God. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And you can find out about Jesus only through the Word of God. And his high goal is to see them matured in Christ, matured on God's terms. You see, the Colossian Christians, unlike, for instance, the letter that Paul uh, wrote to the Galatians or the letter that Peter wrote called 1 Peter, unlike those letters, the Colossians did not need comfort in sorrow. They were evidently in good times. They needed confirmation in the faith. They needed a closer unity, a deeper commitment, and a fuller knowledge of Christ. Hope is found only in truth. And yet... Very often, in the name of many things, men turn aside to find solutions in other ways. I'll not take the pulpit at any point to be political, but I will use a very real example. Our Southern Baptist president of the United States in recognizing communist China fully in canceling our commitments to Taiwan says, I don't mean to abandon China, Taiwan, but I just have to be realistic. Many times, men turn aside from truth 
to seek solutions. It never works. It never works. They need a fuller knowledge of Christ. Truth gives comfort. Truth gives assurance. Error brings discomfort. Error brings distrust and suspicion among friends. Paul wanted to deliver the Colossian church from all of this. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted them to accept the truth. He wanted them to be established in the truth, not being blown about by every wind of opinion, but to realize that there is a standard by which we may live and by which we may act. Religion that deifies any other standard other than the absolute standard given by God in His Word is satanic and it leads to destruction. In Proverbs 16:25, Solomon wrote, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The truth of God is the standard. He now again names the grand secret that God has revealed to us, Christ Himself, the Son of the Father's love, Christ, who was the firstborn of all creation, the first fruits of the dead, Christ, the God-man, the man-God, Christ, supreme over all, reconciling men to God. God's love and God's truth unite the people of God and they always antagonize the world, always. When in any locality you identify churches that are at peace with the world, you've identified churches that have turned their back on God. You know, we really believe that our I say we, just there's a general feeling in the country that this nation is an exception to everything God has ever said. It's not true. It is no exception. I want to remind you that Moses, a man who, as God says, looks on it, looked on his face, Moses, whom God told the people, I speak with him as a man speaks with his friend. Moses didn't enter the land of promise when he turned his back on God's command. And yet we think God will make an exception for us. This nation is not a Christian nation. It never really was. You don't have a Christian nation. You have Christians within a nation. And now there is a suit filed this week in the federal court system that in all future years, everything concerning the nativity, the birth of Christ, be banned from all federal property. The truth brings God's people together and it antagonizes the world. Error divides in 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 1 to 3, writing now to a church, Paul says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, 
as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? The truth unites the true people of God. Error divides at all times. And the high goal of Paul is to mature the church, those who truly belong to Jesus, and to bring them together in an unshakable unity. Love pulls together those who belong to God. And Paul dis desires for them all the riches of God which are all hidden in Jesus. Now in this passage, and in a few verses beyond it, but I'll summarize, Paul gives us the marks of a great church, the marks of a great church. First of all, it is a church with a courageous heart, a church with a courageous heart. He talks about them being encouraged. Now the word encouraged is a Greek word which means given strength to endure trouble. That's a mark of a great church, a courageous heart having done all, as Paul said to the Ephesians, to stand. Secondly, it is a church that is knit together in love. Now, I would remind you that when you love somebody, you do not care nearly as much about what they do to you as you care about what you may do to them. It is a church which is knit together in love. This church, the great church Paul is talking about that he's trying to build at Colossae is a church equipped with wisdom. Now wisdom may be simply defined as the ability to see things from God's point of view. The ability to see things from God's point of view. The ability to apply, to apply the principles of God to any situation of life. Now knowledge, he mentions knowledge and wisdom. All the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the car that carries wisdom. Knowledge is the ability to know facts. Wisdom is the ability to act properly, to use the facts in the right way to do what needs to be done. And Paul says all of this is hidden in Christ. It is in Christ in a hidden way, and we cannot know it, no individual can know it, until God in Christ reveals himself to the individual. Now Paul isn't trying to tantalize. He says all of this is hidden in Christ. He talked in chapter 1 of the mystery hidden from ages and generations now made known to all men which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But when he talks of a mystery, he tells us that God graciously has revealed the mystery to us so that we can understand it. Now the word hidden, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word hidden comes over into the English as the word apocrypha, which means the book of hidden things. Now, isn't that beautiful? Paul says Jesus is God's book of hidden things. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Study Christ 
and you will learn all you need to know. And this book of hidden things that belongs to God is opened by humility. It is read by faith and love learns from it. And then in verses 4 and 5, here is what I have called the high risk. Now Paul says there is a danger to the people of God. There is a high risk. Now his goal in doing what he's trying to do as he describes in verses 2 and 3 is, beginning with verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now the word delude means to be deceived, to be tricked. It means to be led in the wrong direction. It was, this word was used in the Greek as kind of a slang for fast talk. You know, we need to be reminded that anything sounds good until you hear the other side of it. And I promise you that if you will restrict your intake of information to error, you can be convinced of anything. Anybody can. Because anything sounds good until you hear the rest of it. And Paul says that there is a very real danger that those who are able to be persuasive will delude and lead astray. And that raises the very normal question, who is and who isn't deluding and deceiving? Well, the standards, the Word of God. That's what this passage is all about. It's about the Bible. You see, God always acts like God. He never acts like the devil. God doesn't do things in an ungodly way. The standard is God's Word. This is a term delude for persuasive speech, uh, the subtlety of logic. You see, the danger at Colossae that alarmed Paul was that they would be led astray into error by plausible, reasonable-sounding arguments that were false. They were in danger of accepting that which was untrue without seeing the dangers that would go along with it and without understanding the consequences and the devastating nature of the error that they were getting. It is not necessary to go anywhere else for truth but to Jesus as he is revealed in the Word of God. All that we need to know is fully told in the revelation of God's Word. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, talking to his disciples, I have told you everything the Father has told me. The Word of God is complete. It needs nothing else. In it is found the answer to every question, the comfort for every sorrow, the explanation for every perplexity, and the answer to every doubt. We don't need to turn elsewhere. Only God has the answers. You see, error often sounds good, but error is anything for any reason which does not stack up with the Word of God. In a classic book on the Christian 
ministry, which covers the church and, and her ministry. Written about 140 years ago, a man named Charles Bridges said this, a brief quotation in about three sentences. Listen very carefully. The book of God is indeed the living voice of the Holy Spirit. To be intent, therefore, upon the study of it must result in a clear apprehension of the mind of God. Let the theologian ascend from the lower school of natural study to the higher department of Scripture and, sitting at the feet of God as his teacher, learn from his mouth the hidden mysteries of salvation which the heavenly chorus of angels, though always beholding the face of God, desire to look into. In the hidden book of Scripture and nowhere else are opened the secrets of sacred wisdom. What is not drawn from them, whatever is not built upon them, whatever does not most exactly accord with them, however it may recommend itself by the appearance of sublime wisdom or rest upon ancient tradition, the consent of learned men or the weight of plausible argument is vain, futile, and in short, a very lie. Amen? It is the book of God, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The high risk is that plausible arguments will lead us astray. You see, believe it or not, God has spoken. God has spoken. The cry of the prophets, the statements of the Lord Jesus, the teachings of the apostles ring with the words, thus saith the Lord. And when God has spoken, we have no right to then reason and speculate as we please. His word of truth is the end of all our theories, for they are fact. The church must resist such seduction, which often comes in many ways. And what the church must decide individually and collectively is which loyalties mean the most. The loyalties to God and his word or lesser, lesser loyalties. This word delude in classic Greek literature that we have is used very often in describing the proceedings in a court of law. It is used in the writings of Plato, for instance, to describe the power of a lawyer in the ancient courts to persuade the court, even if he was wrong, by the sheer force of his speech. And Paul says, never must the church allow herself to be in that kind of a position. Then he uses terms that speak of the military. He says, I rejoice to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. The word discipline is, is a specialized term, which is a military term. And he is saying, just as the centurion acknowledged to the Lord Jesus, that in the things of God there must be order, there must be a chain of authority, there must be things done in an orderly fashion just as there is in the military. 
The word stability is a word which is used of like the entrenchments of, a, of a, a, an army on the battlefield when they dig themselves in to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. And so he speaks of the discipline of the army, of the discipline of the military, and of the steadfastness like an army on the battlefield which cannot be moved. Now Paul speaks to the church at Colossae before the error takes hold, before the damage is done, for he knows that it is easier if it is but done to prevent than to repair. Like the army, we who belong to Christ are not volunteers. Have you ever heard the statement? I've not only heard it, I've read it, heard it at conferences of various kinds and also heard it answered. It is often said that the problem with getting the organizations within a church fully staffed and functioning is because we're dealing with volunteers. Now, beloved, two things. Number one, you're, that's right, that is the problem. But number two, that concept is the problem because according to the word of God, there's nobody that belongs to Jesus that's a volunteer. You signed up, you signed an eternal contract, you belong to God, and when you do not do what God says, you better watch out. You belong to him. It is no option to be faithful. It is no option to serve God. And if you see yourself in the work of God as a volunteer, you'd better repent of it and get it right with the Lord. You're not a volunteer. You're in the Lord's army. How can we love to sing onward Christian soldiers so much and then act like the, you know, it's a, it's a commitment of convenience to the Lord. You know, is it in the army that one man is better than another? I don't think so. I've known a, a number of military people. We've got some. Uh, many of you were or are in the military. Does it mean, is an officer better than a lower-ranking officer, an enlisted man? No. He's got a different function, and that's honored and respected. Now, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be less orderly than the army? Paul says there's to be the discipline and the steadfastness, the, endur the endurance of the military within the Lord's work. We're not to be led astray by reasonable sounding arguments that are not founded on God's word. And then in verses 6 and 7, here is the simple solution. Now, I departed from what I called the other things, the high price, the high goal, the high risk. Because exactly what Paul says is the one and only simple solution. It is that, nothing more and nothing less. Paul writes, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Step by step, Paul says, they must move toward maturity. They are to walk as men, yet they are to be rooted as a tree is. They are to be founded and built up as a structure is on a solid foundation. Now, the word rooted 
is a word for of once and for all, like a tree that has sunk its roots deep into the soil, the roots are there to stay. Now, walking and being built up in, in the verbs or in the tense of continuous action. We are rooted once and for all, but continually we must walk in the Spirit, walk according to His Word, being built up and matured as we obey him. Paul calls for consistent, obedient conduct. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is more than the object of our faith. Paul says he is the whole sphere of our existence. He is the whole sphere in which we live and move. In verse 6, every Christian ought to memorize Colossians 2, 6, and quote it to yourself very often. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Don't we have heartache and frustration and, and discouragement because day by day we struggle with what we call the real world and, and, and we just don't know what to do or how to do it or so forth? Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how are you saved? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. How are you saved? By faith. How are you supposed to live? By faith. Anything less than that is sin. Any other solution is sin. There is a simple solution. It is to walk by faith. You see, God's given us His Word, and I tell you something that greatly disturbs me very often. That is when I find myself or another individual struggling for leadership, struggling to find out God's will, but yet refusing to accept what God has written and what we have printed in black and white in our Bibles. God's not going to give you any different solution than His Word. That is His solution. And when we say we have to be realistic, whatever that's supposed to mean, what we're saying is, I just don't trust God. We admit God could part the Red Sea. He could call order out of chaos and plant this little bitty planet in one insignificant corner of the universe that he could take flesh, go to the cross, die for us, be raised from the dead, that he's coming again to change all things and take control. But then one day at a time, we just won't do what he says. Now there's an inconsistency there. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How were you saved? If you were saved, you were saved by faith. And if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to do it by faith. Christ is our only guide and we find His will only in His Word. The true church always holds on to the Word of God and Baptists have always been a people of God's book. We have not received a creed, a system of belief, nor a way of thinking we as Christians have received Christ Jesus as our Lord. 
and beginning in the 1600s with the first Baptist confession of faith up to and including the Baptist faith and message which describes our doctrinal stand adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention 15 years ago. Article 1 always is, always has been, and always will be. The Word of God is our sole rule of faith and practice. A perfect treasure of truth with no mixture of error. And if you would know what Baptists believe, it is what the book says. And if you would know the mind of Christ, you will find it in no way except through the clear teachings of God's Word. The ability to be truly godly is found only as we walk in Christ. Those in Christ, Paul says, are constantly more deeply rooted and more fully built up, thus confirmed more and more. Those founded in Christ are able to turn a deaf ear to seductive teaching. True joy is found only in Christ, and the true Christian is known by joy and overflowing gratitude to God Almighty. Thanksgiving is a constant characteristic of the individual that knows what God has done for them in the Lord Jesus. The natural man can never understand why the true Christian will not turn away from the clear-cut Word of God for any reason. It is because, as Paul, the true Christian has no choice but to be true to God as he reveals himself in his word, no matter what it means, no matter what the risk is, no matter what the price is. For you see, if Christ is God, and if God has spoken, we dare turn nowhere else for any of our answers. When you touch Christ, when you get his nature within you, then you will want to go His way and not insist on Him going your way. There is indeed a simple solution. Paul writes it. It stands as a beacon for us as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him firmly rooted in the soil of His grace being built up in the knowledge of His Word just as you were instructed and live a life overflowing with gratitude. May we pray. Father in heaven, how I thank you for the truth of your Word. And Father, how I thank you that you have made us a promise. And that promise is that if we are faithful to your word, if we are faithful to the Lord Jesus in whom are hidden all wisdom and knowledge, that you will abide in us, that you will live through us, that you will sustain us, that you will protect us, 
And Father, I pray on behalf of this, your people, that to the last individual, every one of us will overflow with a gratitude for the fact that we're rooted in you. Father, that we will walk as we have been saved by faith. That we will leave our circumstances in your hands that we will leave the consequences of our faithfulness in your hands, that we will walk as you would have us walk. Now, Father, minister life through your word. Quicken us by the touch of your spirit. Draw from us life-changing commitment. May we live lives that would glorify the Lord Jesus, for I claim it in his name.